0: You know, I, I really like to reference David Bowie, actually. David Bowie, the reason he was so successful is he reinvented himself basically yeah. every decade. And so as a company, we're just now locking into our, our final step where we're on this initiative where clients are understanding, all of our employees are understanding, and the path is so clear.
1: You're, uh, you're, your company's getting to final Bowie. <laughs> It's like a Gundam. Show
0: yeah. Or something. <laughs> You're listening to the Can't Sell This podcast, dedicated to projects past that never saw the light of day, with your hosts, Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart.
2: So, Jason, uh, we were going to start on time, but we didn't. And I want to apologize for our lateness, but you are so gracious to allow us to start late, even with a crazy day
0: not a problem. My
2: pleasure. And you are Jason White, one of the founders of Leviathan, correct?
0: That is correct. My current title is Chief Creative Officer, recently promoted from Executive Creative Director.
1: That was uh, my title when we founded the company in 2010. Wow. So why the title change?
0: Well, we've been acquired. Uh, We got acquired last last year by the Envoy Group, and it's, it's a great thing when you're acquired. And with acquisition comes um, promotions, uh, new hires, um, elevating our staff from within. It's just a wonderful thing to happen. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, everything's flourishing right now.
2: Very cool. That's that's fantastic. So what had happened, and I'll, I'll lay the groundwork for, for this whole episode. I sat in your talk at FITC this year. And I have to say, it was so resonant with me, your entire path to where you are now, that I, I thought, oh my God, this is, <laughs> this is fantastic. Well, thanks again for the opportunity. Thanks for attending the
0: talk, and thanks for the opportunity. I mean, it is, uh, it, it's a weird thing to get up on stage and tell your basically your life and career story. It's, it's kind of like dropping your pants in front of a crowd, but mm-hmm. you know, that, was, uh, that was a new thing. And
1: um, really glad you liked it. Mm. Uh, did Stefan? Did you see the the talk? Uh, I I did not get to see the talk this year. So because I had the you hosting, were running a room, right? yeah, I had hosting duties at FITC this year. So unfortunately, um, I wasn't able to attend. But Jason, you and I actually met at a previous FITC. Um, I, I can't remember what the name of the place was, but it was one of the one of the event parties in the evening, and we just we were at the bar and we had a conversation about work and Chicago and, uh, and Toronto. Um, but yeah, I, I, completely blanked on that until, uh, Hugh brought up, uh, the fact that, that, <laughs> that you, you were going to be on the podcast. And I said, that name sounds so familiar. And, uh, and then when he said he's from the I'm like, oh, of course. <laughs> so yeah, great to yeah, chat yeah. with you again. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, what I, I'd, I'd love to,
2: to cover, uh, is, is the, um, the past, what you had discussed was was how you'd sort of lost your passion for what you were doing, that you 'd taken some risks that weren 't panning out, and the podcast that we do is is turning into you know how do you get past these roadblocks and i, I was I was wondering if you might cover a little bit of, of that journey with us uh, from from the stage in which you were—you were probably feeling—I'm sorry to do this—but where you were probably feeling the most vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> Back to dropping ten. Sure,
0: it's—it's uh, it's interesting, right? So, my passion—I I don't think was ever lost on on anything. And I'm, I'm a very passionate person, and I'm am I'm an artist first and foremost. And I, I, always will be an artist. I, I, you know, I've been an artist since a child, and I've, I've really had to kind of force my own path in life. Um, to back up, you know, my parents were, were hippies actually, and they, they always um, kind of drilled into me this counterculture thinking that you have to think for yourself, and you have. can find my way if if I put my mind to it and so you know when I set out to do something I I really I give it my all and so fast forward many years um, you know after being an artist and getting into motion graphics getting But we were also taking on motion graphics projects, TV commercials, uh, show titles, right? And part of part of the issue that I ran into is that you know when you're when you're doing too many things, it's it's really uh, it, re, it really divides your attention. And I started to hit some walls, um, especially say the show title business. I was um, I was experiential events I was doing concert tours uh, visuals and I was also doing show titles and my my burnout started to happen when when I was divided and financially what happens when when you throw so much at it it actually um it creates a divide within your company does that make sense
2: yeah, I can see how that would occur. It, did you find that you were not allowing other people to do as much work as you? Or is it more of that's just because you're a driven individual and you were choosing to work as hard as you were?
0: Oh, no, not at all. I, I have the most amazing crew. And they, these guys and um, these, these ladies are, are just, you know, I... I really believe in in giving them all of the opportunity pushing as far as I can, but when I have this philosophy, whenever you get to a crowded swimming pool, it's hard to swim right and mm-hmm. so with with the
1: show titles when we were
0: in that business, it, it became fiercely competitive, and the the numbers just started to drop, you know so we we found ourselves. Basically, working for free at some point, and you know, it's interesting. You, you, you basically you, you have to know when to let go of something. Yeah. And for us, it, it was it was a lesson in letting go too late. Um, you know, and and where, what I talked about on stage was basically knowing when to walk away. Because when when things started dipping with our company, you know, we had to do layoffs. And um, I went for a long time without getting paid. I paid everyone before myself, and it really stunned me. You know, it, it hurt me psychologically, it hurt me physically. I took it. I took it so damn personal. Like the first time it happened, and when that happens, like your inner critic starts to mm, sort of rise yeah. up. And you're, like not, you're no good. You're, you know, you're not going to cut it in this business. <laughs> yeah. Um there there were, there were times where we we were close to bankruptcy
2: because our passion was there but the finances were there right and you know it's, it's interesting but having been in the the web industry or you know generally interactive for I mean I've been doing this for 20 years, you know I gotta say like every time a new cohort of students graduates, I'm just like, oh <laughs> is there a reason? We keep teaching more students because they're just coming up from nowhere all of a sudden. And it's like, well, if I don't learn even faster, boy, oh boy, I'm out of a job, you know? And it's, it's interesting. Like you were talking about, it's hard to swim in a crowded pool. And that, that's essentially what had happened to a lot of us is that, like, if you weren't running a company, there were people who were willing to work way cheaper and more hours because they haven't, they, they have no interest in comfort yet, you know? they've got 10 years before they're interested in comfort and <laughs> they're worried about paying a mortgage or whatever. They're just interested in succeeding. I
0: totally understand that. And yeah, I'm, I'm just about to hit 20 years in the industry and, and I, I constantly see people selling themselves short right. um, in order to build their portfolio. And, and, you know, as a, as a young company, we were guilty of doing that too. Mm-hmm. And what, what, what's terrible about that is, It sets a really bad precedent. Um, You know, if if you if you let people take advantage of you, then you know the next time they call, they're going. You you already set your bottom line so so low. Yeah. How are you going to climb out of that, right? And so as a company, we found ourselves in that very trap, and that's when we had to you know start making cuts and start starting to jettison jettison um, overhead. Yeah. It's a scary thing to do, but but then you know if you can find a market where you know it's a less crowded goal, that's where invention comes in and that's what i love about the tech industry is because if you if you can get into some sort of not so much intellectual property but if you can if you can invent something or have a style that no one else has you're you're not only sought after but then you could basically call the shots and i'm not going to say that we're totally there but we are definitely on a path where People are seeking out what we're putting out,
2: right? Yeah, and we're we're able to. I'm not saying it's expensive, but we're able to play in this field where we um we get to set the prices for it. Yeah, and I mean there there's there's an advantage in the over the short term at at any rate when there when you don't have competition, you know. Is there any fear? Uh, on the on your part or on the part of I mean the company you you have where every time you've innovated a whole bunch of people go oh so that's how it's done and then they start doing it and then you're like oh man like i guess i got to innovate again does that help drive you like does that help bring you to the next level of whatever it is you're working on cuz the stuff that i saw you were at the at the end of your talk you were talking about what what leviathan is working on is very architectural and massive scale which is really, really exciting and actually building in your interactions directly into the architecture. Um, how long before you're going to need to move to the next level, you know what I mean? Like where the, the competition has, has all of a sudden cottoned on to what you're doing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It, uh, it keeps me up at night, it drives me, and it fuels my passion. I liken it to running a race. You know, if you, if you find yourself at the front of the race and you look back right behind you, there, there's a whole path behind you. And sure enough, um, other companies are sprouting that are doing what we're doing and sometimes better. And it is, uh, it is a great motivator. Um, if you're the only one doing something, sometimes that's not the greatest thing. Um, it can be lonely. Uh, you can find yourself. Well, let me put it this way. When, when we were starting out, we were doing such weird stuff i mean we were we were getting into experimental technology with projections. we were getting into interactive things that our clients had never seen before, right And so I had a hard time selling that, and I had a hard time convincing my clients that this is worth investing your money in and now this is this is ten years ago, right? yep and and they heard heard about projection mapping, they heard about interactive lobby experiences, but they never understood the value of it because not enough people were actually proving that there is a value. And now we have other agencies or other studios like mine out there promoting it it's actually helping me. Yeah, it's it's helping to promote the culture that we're building.
1: Nice. I want to touch on that again, but from the, the perspective you mentioned, you know, you that you you developed this sort of taste for risk uh, in your career. And um, I'm just curious as to when you're trying to sell these innovative ideas to companies, you know, saying, you know, we want you to foot the bill for this crazy thing that you haven't heard of before and you know, hoping that someone will say, yes, we'll, we'll fund this.
0: Yeah, there's a huge element of risk, and and if you think about companies' financials, uh, the you know the hardest power that goes into these elaborate presentations. I mean, that that costs me money to do. Right, and and that's another thing that you know almost almost drove us under. It was this this whole notion of building it before you buy it. Right, like you don't you don't go to an architect and say, hey. um build this house and i might i might buy mm-hmm. it right right well in our industry you know this
1: very well in our industry mm-hmm. it's so frustrating because people will come to you asking for you to do it on spec
0: to do right. it grab uh, you know
2: or they'll crowdsource it right or they'll ask a number of yeah. people to pitch, and everybody will have to create their own version of it to deliver at a certain date. And you all show up one agency after the other, with your individual pitches, looking at each other, going, "So, I'll see you at the bar, I guess." You know, it's it's right. such a and strange. It's not, it's not a terrible
0: thing. Like I, I think that it's very wise to get multiple points of view on one on one subject, right? On one ask. I, I, I'm not I'm not going to say that it's It's a terrible thing. But it's it's a risky thing. And if you're one in three bidders on a project and you think you have a one in three shot, go for it. I'm not saying don't do it. Mm -hmm. But if you do it, it has to be a calculated risk. And you have to understand that if you don't get it, there will be a ramification of the time and energy that you put into Right.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, because every hour spent is an hour without getting paid. You know? Like to me that's the biggest problem with pitches and we ran into it a lot in advertising agencies where they would throw, like, a dozen people into a room for a week to build a really great pitch, but you'd essentially be building a whole prototype at the same time, you know, where you're like, what did this cost us, you know?
0: I, I do know, and we're getting uh, smarter about it. Where you know, when you start out with a company, sometimes you don't know how long it will take. You know, it's never been done before. Uh, most of the projects we're doing, we are, I'm proud to say we're inventing the future. It's it's never been, you know,
2: done before. Mm-hmm.
0: And so what we do is we sit down and we actually calculate the dollars and cents and, and how that will translate into, you know, um, something that the clients will understand. So we're getting better at that. And then we translate it into something that is going to benefit our research and development. Right? So if you have an opportunity, but you also want to invent something, you get to keep that. And you get to, um, how do I say it? Like, use it for something else, or maybe even something better.
1: Yeah, I, I I completely understand. I've I've worked in my career mostly with with emerging technologies. So that idea of going in and and pitching something and, and someone asking you, you know, how much is going to cost for this developer? Or how, you know, what's the budget line for for um, you know this technology? And you're just like, well, we don't know yet because we're hoping to figure that out while we build it um, is, is always really nerve-wracking uh, to give them a number. And I find when you were talking about that, that taste for risk, I remember being in pitches and sweating because I knew the question was coming and I knew I didn't have anything more than an educated guess. And when you start... Being right more often than you're wrong, I think that that's when you start to to feel it's less risky. You start to understand, okay, I know what I'm talking about, I know what I'm doing, uh, you know, I'm a pro at this. But I feel like that then very quickly can turn when you start losing pitches, and that's like you said, that's when you get into that, you know, I'm I don't know what the f I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes. And, and it's just it comes with maturity too you know having having seen enough of these coming in and out of the door we're getting a sense for what works and what
2: doesn't for sure mm-hmm. yeah uh, well you know I think I think one of the things that, that struck me was, was how you talked about sort of cutting yourself loose so that you gave yourself the space to consider your next steps which led you to you know we're, you're still going, and it led, it led to being acquired. And, and I, I thought it was, it was a, a marked comment when you said, you know, we've had plenty of authors for plenty of money, but we chose the right partners in mm. this. I thought that was a really telling comment. Uh, this acquisition means you have a lot of faith in the people that acquired you.
0: I do and thanks for listening to that That's, uh, you get points it
1: <laughs> was it's your point <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah I've seen I've seen so many of my friends who who own businesses just fall apart because the uh, you know the company wanted to buy the portfolio or the client roster or the team buy the talents and what happened you know culture is such a delicate thing. It's, it's like relationships, you know? If there's just something off, something off about it, things can go astray very quick mm-hmm. and people leave.
1: And I, I knew enough to know. And I was younger when we started
0: getting approached, and, and, and I'm really proud of that. But we started asking really hard hitting questions like, what is your culture like? What is the most important thing to you? Right. How do you treat people? Um, and so on and so on. And, and after talking to a few companies, some were more corporate than others. Uh, some were a bit more of a like, the like they just kind of like too casual. And in, in some, some were not aligned they would hear our ambitious ideas about the future and they would say like, well, that's all well and good, but we want you to do X, Y, and you know, do this. Right. And, and the money was tempting. I mean, I'm talking a lot of money, you know, and, and I just, I just, my partner and I, we just had this weird sense that it's just not the right time yet. And so we held on and then, the great thing about uh, Envoy coming along is uh, we we had actually done work for them uh, as as our clients. and so we, we we helped with a brand campaign years prior, and it was a it was a good experience. They're good people, um, West Coast based, you know. They, they have the heads on rights, and so they came around again and they said, "Hey, we're building this super group called Envoy Group," and we. You know, we're thinking about adding experiential design to our roster, mm. and when they said that, immediately we thought, okay, well, we already know that you know they check certain boxes, and so the conversations began. Right, and nice. it's not—it's not, a,
2: it's not a, a a quick experience, right? Like this is something that takes quite a while to make sure that every T is crossed and every mm-hmm. I is dotted. So I mean, you had all these opportunities in which backing out was a possibility, and you still believed in them enough to to continue and and finally, you know, go through with it. Obviously,
0: it, I did. Yes, my partner and I did believe, but the, the courting process. I mean, we you know we could do a whole podcast just on <laughs> getting acquired.
2: I mean, what a roller coaster! But you know, the whole the whole process takes quite a long time. Yeah. It's,
0: it's kind of like courting and dating. You really want to make sure that you're doing the right thing. And, and you know, much much less the financial conversations and legal conversations and, and making sure that we are all looking uh, years down the road and that we're all aligned. Right. I guess it's more of a, like a gut check and, and just the culture. Fit. I mean, for my partner and I, w- what is so important to us is, is the work. And the work feeds the soul, it feeds our right. our company, it feeds the portfolio. And when I start to look at other companies, you know, if, if, if things don't line up or if it doesn't feel like we can continue to do all the cool work, then our philosophy was that it's not going to feed us internally. It's not going to keep us um, right. motivated and I never I never want to lose sight of that. Mm. And and in anyone that um wants to make a buck and just not not really chase down the coolest work. I just I'm lucky that my partner's on board like that.
2: Well it's interesting. Stefan and I have had conversations that are very similar to this often and, and, and we you know, we, we back and forth quite a bit over the, the concept of well, we don't want to work for free, but we also don't wanna work for bad people or for you know we don't want to do bad work essentially that opportunity comes far too often to to make something that's not amazing so sometimes you need to sort of suck it up and and do the thing that you don't want to do which is to hold out for what would be amazing work
1: you're talking about like Uh doing doing client work just for the paycheck Right? yeah,
2: you know it, it's interesting in the conversation we had with Kim, you know her, her her the work that she gets a lot of attention for is the the art collaborations she does with, with, you know, with various dance studios or, or orchestras. But you know, she doesn't talk that much about her client work because it's not, as you say, it's not what feeds you internally, you know. And I find that 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 happens often with with people who are creative. They tend to, um, they tend to find the things that drive them, that make them accept the things around them.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a balance, right? I mean, you you have to constantly keep an eye on that. I mean, not every project is going to be the coolest thing on earth, I and mean, you have to find the nice things about the other projects. I mean, I'm I'm pretty happy to say that the the projects that aren't the gorgeous we always find technology that works with our clients right and I've always liked the challenge let's say major fashion line brand right I'm not going to name the brand but it's easy to make them look cool right but maybe say like a financial institution that comes to you and wants this huge elaborate interactive installation I love that challenge
1: sure. like
0: making making
2: people look cool love it
1: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> yeah you know uh, is there anything that you feel um do, okay here this is gonna sound really so drawn out, but do you feel that you left anything out of your talk in Toronto and the stuff that we've touched on this evening that you'd like to add to like I felt you sort of you you've added a bit uh from what you said in Toronto, but do you like, your path now, do you feel confident in the direction you're taking? Uh, or do you feel easily as driven as you ever have to innovate and change and grow, you know? Is that a weird question? I do. Yeah, that's, a, that's an awesome question. Um, it,
0: is, it is completely scary. like everything is, is, is reset mm-hmm. on some level it's invigorating exciting all all of the things I could say about it are good but also you know I, I really like to reference David Bowie actually David Bowie the reason he was so successful is he reinvented himself basically yeah. every decade right if you look at photos <laughs> he went through every decade reinventing himself and I've always used him as a good reference for that and so as a company just now, Allah. As you started thinking
1: that you've made it, that's that's actually when you start to fall down. You're, uh, you're, your 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 getting into final Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Gundam, yeah. <laughs> it's,
0: it's like it's like the Transformers, like locking in
2: place. Yeah. Okay. All of this hard work, all of these things—the art, the motion graphics, the
0: architecture, the interactive everything is starting to make sense. Nice the planning, and then. It just locks in all of a sudden. That day is like, wow, okay, everything makes sense. I'm glad I was patient because it's mm-hmm. easy. It's easy to say, "Damn, this isn't working," you know, whatever, and then you, you know, you kind of walk away from it. but Boy, does it take time. You, you really just have to plug away and constantly plug away at it. So, the Beatles another good reference. I mean, they they played underground for ten years before anyone knew, them, right? And then yeah. all of a sudden. Everyone
1: knows who they are. So I, I, the guess... end of my plastic rock, right there. <laughs> you big campy. So uh, so yeah, I, I love the notion of uh, you know you don't j- just keep plugging at it because I think that's something that's really important for people who get into that phase where they start to question their their talent or question their ability because of you know some recent failures or for instance like when you were saying your company went through a phase where you had to have layoffs, you almost went bankrupt, like. That, that does hit your ego and you need to, to stay positive and you need to keep uh, you know uh, you need to keep in perspective the fact that you do know what you're doing and you've just hit a rough spot and that those rough spots actually just help develop who you become in the next decade in the next the next Bowie. Um, but I want to take it back to the beginning and, and do you have any kind of insight or you know short piece of uh, advice? For people who are first starting out and first getting into those situations like that pitch where you just you're not sure if you're gonna be able to sell it and you're not sure if you know what you're talking about.
0: Mm. Do your homework. Hmm. Do your homework on your audience. That's that's the number one thing I do. And so I'll I'll sit up at night researching, trying to figure out what what is it that makes this company great and how can I acknowledge that? To my audience, and, and how can I make them better? And when you're sincere about that, and you really believe in what you're saying, I don't think you can go wrong. Um, when when you're not listening, or you don't understand how to listen, then I think that your audience won't understand what you're what you're trying to you know put out there. You know, pitch, pitching is hard, selling your idea is hard. Um, confidence is a huge thing, and confidence comes with time.
2: Yeah, just for the record, you can't see it. We haven't said anything like, "Oh yeah, well, we're we're nodding a lot." So feel feel good that we're agreeing, yeah. <laughs> even if it's silently. <laughs> it's yeah. sometimes hard to realize that's that good. that you're not in the room. Like it's so like Stefan and I keep looking at each other and we're nodding
1: and well, yes, he's saying something great. But then I'm we turn also around and
2: don't actually say anything to you. I also
1: so. keep looking at the phone and the microphone <laughs> as if that's Jason, but little it, little wee Jason yeah. on the stand. <laughs> But, uh, but I mean, I share that sentiment and um, uh, the feeling I always get is that that confidence that you eventually build up for pitching is is there's a little bit of imposter syndrome in everyone because we're always just sort of faking it till we make it. We're always not 100% sure on things and we have to go with our gut. We have to go. Uh, I mean, yes, with, with research and, and knowing your audience and you can be as prepared as anyone, but you're still taking that risk, and you still have to come across like you feel like you know what you're talking about, and uh, you're pre- you're prepared enough. And that last, you know, twenty percent that is just guesswork and risk is always going to be there.
0: Always going to be there. Yeah. I can tell you from experience, the many, many, many jobs that I've pitched where I wasn't completely feeling. I got it, um, or feeling a thousand percent like this is—I know, I know that this I can get this. The chances are pretty high that I didn't get those
1: jobs, right, right.
0: And I, and, and I had and I had the sense when I was in the room pitching, or I'm on a call and it's quiet. Like, Damn it, you know, it's it's just one of those things where you, you're, your gut will tell you, yeah, if you got it. And, and what's what's really cool about that is when you have it and you have a great idea, you know you have it, no matter what you do, it really does come up come along to the clients because we're all human beings. And you can sense fear. You can sense when someone's stuttering and you can you can sense when someone's a little insecure about something. That's why I mean I, I fully believe in practice rehearsal. I believe in getting an outside perspective on everything I do. I mean my mother will take a look at my pitches. <laughs> and and, and I'll, I'll have someone from outside of the industry ask, you know, and I'll ask, does this make sense to you? Would you buy this? Especially with the interactive work that
2: we're doing. Mm. Yeah. And that, I, I mean, that's also great advice to, to give to people is, you know, we often talk about the echo chamber or the bubble chamber and that we, we put ourselves in. When you speak to a person in advertising about advertising, they tend to go, oh, yeah. But when you speak to, like, if I tell my mom, about the stuff I'm doing, she kind of gets surprised and then goes, "Is that a thing? You know, like she get she she's like, I didn't know. You know, like I'll I'll show her some model I'm working on or a three D print I just did, and, and she'd be like, Where did you, where did you do that? What did you do that with? I'm like, Oh, okay. So we should rewind probably a few years. Where we talk about the things that I do for a living, because <laughs> you know, I think it's I think it's incredibly valuable. To, I actually get my wife, who's who used to be in advertising but is now in, in the quilting world, to look at the stuff I'm working on and read the stuff I write because I, it's of value to get an outside perspective.
0: Definitely, definitely, and also to add to that, when you're pitching a job and and you. You know, you, you think they're like you. On the other end, you have an account person. You yeah. Have, you have a numbers person. You have a marketing person who doesn't really maybe even care about your design. You have a person over there that cares about the ROI. Yep. You have a person that is is purely looking about, like, how, how will this make us money? You, you really have to put on a lot of different hats and start to think. And that's why the outside perspective helps.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. I think, I could be wrong, Stefan. Yes? I think we may have reached the point of the end. Final Bowie. (laughs) Final Bowie! (laughs) Final Bowie. Um, uh, We shall ascend. (laughs) (laughs) Someone hit a G chord. So, Jason, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your time and your patience and your willingness to to share with us tonight. This is, this has been a a fantastic conversation. Absolutely. Likewise.
0: Thanks guys. It's been great. And I hope to see you next time in Toronto. I love
2: that city. Well, I'll tell you, I, I've been to Chicago, but only the outskirts. So I've never been anywhere inside of Chicago. So hopefully I can make a special trip to, to see your space and, and see Kim's, Kim's space and like, like have a, a beverage and a, and a, what do you got? What's it? What's the sandwich of Chicago? Is it a hoagie or something? What's the Italian
0: Italian sandwich?
2: There you go. I got, <laughs> got my goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, anytime you're you're most certainly
0: welcome. Yeah. All right.
2: Well, thank you again. Uh, we're not. We're just gonna end the episode. <laughs> so for the record, we're ending the episode but I still have to get up to hang up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> or you can hang up. Jason, thanks again. Really appreciate it. Okay. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> right, bye-bye. See you, Jason.
1: This episode of Can't Sell This was produced in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All creative content contained in this episode is copyright Stefan Grambart and Hugh Elliott. Intro voice by Jeff Wright. Intro music track is Energy by Not Of from their 2015 album, Peak. Questions or comments can be sent to admin at can't Any other information can be found at can'tsellthispodcast.com It was you. It
2: was me. Energy. There he goes. That's the he's like he's still listening. <laughs> <laughs> Just waiting. All right. We're gonna Hey, could you hit record now?